Hey, Cornerstone. How you doing? Man, super glad that you guys are here. I think you're the only group of people I know who claps for the preacher who's about to beat you up. That's just the coolest thing ever in the world. Hey, uh, before we get started, could we stop and pray for Ukraine? I, man, I don't know how heavy your heart is. My heart's heavy. So here's what I want to ask us to do. Would you stand where you're at? I'm going to freak all the men in the room out just a little bit. I'm going to ask us if we could hold hands. Hopefully you don't have anything weird growing on your hands. Uh, I forgot to bring gloves. Uh, can we just pray real quick? Hey, dearest Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you. And God, our, our hearts are aching right now because it, it appears that evil men are doing whatever they want to do and that innocent and weak people are being the victim. And God, we, we lay this thing at your feet. If we had our way, uh, you would just stop the enemy in their tracks, that you would do what you did with Moses when you parted the Red Sea. You would just say, you cannot touch my people. But God, we also know that your will is higher than our will and your ways are higher than our ways. We think back to a country of China that one day threw out all of their missionaries. We all thought that the world would uh, see a decline of Christianity there and the church blossomed. And so God, we trust you for the moment. We trust that you know what we don't know. And God, would you do your very best? And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for doing that. All right, we're in a series on the life of Jonah. And uh, Jonah is probably the best runner of all time. It is a remarkable, it is an amazing story. Here's why you and I need to hear the story. Because all of us are inclined to do what Jonah did. That in a moment when God points to something that we wish God would have never brought up, uh, in, that, in that time in which God says to us, hey, I want you to surrender this, I want you to do this for me, our hearts want to do exactly what Jonah did. We, we want to say, no, God, no, no, you've asked too much, you've gone too far, and we want to run. Uh, for some of us, the running is physical. We just take off out of church. We, we get rid of all of our Christian friends and we just say, no, I'm just going to get as far away from God as I possibly can. For some of us, our running is the folding of our arms. So in other words, we not, may not be physically running away from God, but our hearts are. And so whenever the pastor preaches that sermon, whenever we read that verse in the Bible, we just, we just check out. We just go, No. Whole bunch of my life I'll surrender to God, but never that. And in our hearts, we're on the run. Here's what we're going to discover today. Running never works. It never works. There is no such thing, you ready? There's no such thing as a successful runner. It always ends badly. And that you and I hopefully would gain a little bit of wisdom by watching the biggest runner of all time and just say, look, I, I get it. And as frustrating as this is, as scary as it is to be obedient in this thing with God, I know that running is worse and I'm going to avoid the run. So here's what I'm going to do today. We're going to unpack. There's 
four phases that Jonah goes through, four phases of a run. Um, what I'd like for you to do is to evaluate as we go through the phases. Hey, am I in phase one? Am I in phase two or phase three? But here's what I'm going to warn you about before we get going. You do not want to get to phase four. You, you want to do anything and everything you can to halt the run before you even get near to phase four. Because phase four is miserable. So here we go. Grab your Bibles. Uh, we'll go together to the book of Jonah. Now, uh, for all of you uh, that brought real Bibles today, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. All your electric Bibles are mostly Bibles, so it's okay. <laughs> so if you brought a physical Bible with pages, and if you go right to the center, you're probably going to find the book of Psalms or book of Proverbs. Uh, you're going to then head to the right. As you do that, don't go too quickly because you're going to hit a couple of fairly large books like Ezekiel and Daniel and then slow down because Jonah is one of those tiny, tiny, tiny books. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Somewhere Jonah. Yeah, somewhere in there. I remembered before. All right, anyways, it's in there. Okay, so Jonah chapter uh, one, four phases. Here we go. Jonah is about to begin phase one. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Brent have a conversation that Jonah starts off with a veto. He just says, God, no, no. How dare you ask why? No. And the question that came to us last week is, do I have an area of my life in which I am vetoing God? Because I'm just telling you the next step, the next thing we do on the other side of the veto is run. So here we go. Jonah chapter one, starting in verse one. The run begins. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Uh, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that part, that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from God. Here's something. You're in a bad spot already if you actually believe you are fleeing from God. The God who is omnipotent and knows all things, and the God who is omnipresent, good luck finding that cave where God is not going to be. And yet, his heart, like ours, is inclined to run. Now, Brent told us last week, I just want to reiterate that, the fact that literally when Jonah takes off, he heads in completely the opposite direction. If this is Jerusalem, God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh, which is about 540 miles to the east of Jerusalem inland, uh, somewhere in present-day Iran or Iraq. Instead, uh, Jonah decides to head west across the Mediterranean toward present-day Spain to a town called Tarshish. He literally goes as far as he can, as completely as he can, in the opposite direction. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about Jonah. Jonah's a God follower. Matter of fact, most of our lives wouldn't stack up against Jonah's life at this moment. 
Uh, he's married the girl that God wanted him to marry. Uh, he's been obedient to Scripture in a way that a lot of us haven't been. Matter of fact, you ready for this? Jonah's in ministry. He surrendered. He's in full-time ministry. And yet in this moment, he suddenly says, I'm out of here. So my question is, what happened? And the answer is this. Jonah, like so many Christians, is a selective believer. And here's what I mean by that. Many of us decide which things we're willing to let God be in charge of, and then we select the things he can't be in charge of. We're a selective believer. Oh, God, you know what? You can be in charge of my business. You just can't be in charge of my dating life. Hey, hey God, uh, you can be in charge of my marriage. You just can't be in charge of my recreation. Jonah, like so many of us, is a selective believer. And here's the deal. As he has selected, there are certain things that are out of bounds to God. So here's what he's literally done. Uh, he's made a line. harder than it looks I'm just saying so, <laughs> so he's made a line and what he said is look look, God, God, look here's the deal everything that's on that side of the line you can have you can do whatever you want to do I'll obey you about everything on that side but God don't you dare don't you dare cross the line because the moment you cross the line the moment you challenge me the moment you ask me for this, you've overstepped your bounds, God. You've gone too far. And you might as well just know from the beginning, the answer is no. Do we have a deal? And here's what you need to know. God doesn't make deals. And this, this ought to be an awakening moment for a bunch of us because a bunch of us are living under the assumption that we've talked God into leaving us alone about fill in the blank. That, that we'll let God have a whole bunch of our lives, but just don't ever ask me for, and then God, we can be okay. And in this moment, when God comes to Jonah and says, you go speak to those guys that you don't like, that you hate, Jonah says, no, 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 no. Remember the deal? You just crossed the line, God. If you're living right now, making deals with God, I've got bad news for you. The minute you make the line, the minute you say, hey, God, this is out of bounds, don't touch that. Guess what's the first thing God's going to go after? He is. Why? Because God knows this is big to your heart. And if you would ever surrender that, Surrendering the rest of your life would come easy. So the moment you say, God, no, 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 out of, it's the very thing God will come to talk to you about.
And then you and I will have to make a decision. Do I surrender the thing I said I would never surrender? Do I bow the knee about the very habit or issue or relationship or that I said I would never bow the knee? Or do I run? See, all of us are inclined to be like Jonah, but none of us have to make the mistake of Jonah. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a line? Do you have something that you just have quietly in your heart tried to negotiate with God and just go, God, please, please, don't ask me about living with my girlfriend. Don't, don't ask me about my finances. God, God, look, don't ask me about my career. Can I tell you, as 15 years old, the, the one thing I had negotiated with, I said, God, just don't ever ask me to be a preacher. <laughs> you can see how well that worked, right? So I'm just, I'm just asking you, do you have a line? Because if you have a line, I promise you, God will come to have a conversation about the line. And some of us will surrender, and some of us will run. It's phase one. And so it's what I want you to, remember we said we're going to think about the phases we're in. Even if you haven't started running physically, if you have a line, you're already a runner in your heart. You're in phase one. Phase two. Go back to the passage. It's verse three again. Here's what it says. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed toward Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying a fare, he went aboard and he sailed towards Tarshish to flee from God. Now, think about what it just said for a moment. He's running from God and he runs to open water. If I'm running from God, there are some places I'm going to avoid. I'm not going to open water. I'm staying away from caves. I'm not going to jump into pits. And I sure ain't parachuting out of an airplane if I'm running from God. Because you're ready for this? Because that only makes me vulnerable, right? That just, that puts me in a bad position. There aren't too many escape routes when you're on open water. And here's what you need to know. That when we turn to run from God, we run to the most unusual places. All of our friends look at us and go, wait, 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 wait. You decided not to obey God, but you decided to do that? Wow. Some of you know that I used to be a youth pastor for years and years. I can't tell you how many times I would run into an 18-year-old male who was getting ready to graduate high school and say, hey, what are your plans? And they'd say, Lynn, here's the deal. Look, my parents are jerks. Way, 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 way over-controlling. They, they want to tell me what time to come in. I'm 18. Uh, they've got chores they want me to do around the house. When I turn 18... I'm out. I am out. And so then I would ask and say, okay, so I, I get that. So how are you going to like survive financially? How are you going to live? How are you, you know, you going to pay all the bills? How are you going to do all that? And then they smile at me and they say, I'm joining the army. <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait a minute. 
You're leaving your parents' home because they're overly controlling, they have curfews for you, and chores they want you to do, and you're joining the army. Yeah, yeah. And guys, I'm just telling you, when we turn to run, we run to the most unusual places. And, and what you need to know is, is that it's, it's almost like a consequence. It's a natural consequence of the run, and it is self-inflicted. This isn't God doing this. This is you and me being dumb. I know a pastor, and one day he's in staff meeting with his staff, and he, to close out the meeting, just said, guys, I, you know, I, I know I've said this to you a hundred times. I want to say it again. You're in leadership. In the church, people are watching uh, your life. So let me just, again, remind you to be careful about how you live. Be thoughtful about how you live. Be careful about the movies you go to. Uh, be careful about the conversations you get into and the things that you say while you're in those conversations. Be careful in your personal life, especially those of you that are single and you're dating. Be really, really careful about the circumstances you get yourself into. And as this pastor was saying that, he looked across the table and saw Amy. Amy was this unbelievable, remarkable student leader on his staff. And as he looked across the table at Amy, her head went down. And he knew. So he ended up setting up a meeting with Amy. He said, Amy, I, I just want to know what's going on. You know, I got to that part about, hey, be careful in your relationships. And I don't know if you even realize, but your head just went down. What, what's going on, Amy? And thankfully, she was honest in the moment. She said, well, truth be told, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend. To which the pastor said, Amy, you, you realize that that disqualifies you, right? I mean, you realize that you're leading young people and telling them that it's God's heart, that they would wait till they're married before they start having sex. You're sleeping with your boyfriend. You can't lead from there, Amy. And the heart of this pastor was that she would step away for a little while, the church would go through some sort of a process of restoration, and that eventually Amy could be restored because she was remarkable working with students. And Amy looked at him and said, no, it's my body, it's my life, and nobody can tell me what to do with it. And she turned and ran. Remember we said when you turn and run from God, you get vulnerable. When you turn and run from God, you go to the strangest place. Anybody want to guess where Amy went? Yeah, she uh, married that boyfriend. Despite the fact that he was a baby, 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 baby Christian, nowhere near her spiritual walk. He was never going to be her equal and able to contribute to that relationship, let alone lead that home. He was the one that when the whole thing came to light was telling Amy, you tell that church to blank off. Single ladies in the room, let me, let me just say this. You have a boyfriend who's telling you to disobey God and disobey scripture, who's pressuring you and encouraging you to do things that would hurt the heart of God. Run away, run away, run away. Not with him, the other way. Right? Amy, in her run, spent the next two years in marriage hell. It was nothing but pain and misery. Why? Because she tagged her life with somebody who she should have never, right? 
Because when you turn to run, you run to the strangest places, ended up divorced. To this day, as far as I know, Amy still hasn't stopped running. And I'm just going to say to you that, that one of the dangers of the run is that when you and I turn to run, our lives always become less. Let, let me see if I can explain this to you. God is the author of wisdom, right? And so when I choose to disobey God, when I say, God, I'm going to run away from you and I'm going to run away from your wisdom, then whatever I do next can't be very smart because I'm running away from the best decision. God wants to bless me, give me a remarkable life. And when I say, no, I'm not going to go there. The cost is too high. It's too uncomfortable to surrender that line to you. So I'm running away. You realize I'm running from blessing to less. And guys, I said, here's what you need to get about running. If, if you've turned, if whatever you're experiencing in life right now, if you're on the run, it's less than what God would have done if you simply would have obeyed. It's less. Your marriage is less. Your finance, everything is less because you're running. How many of us are in phase two? How many would say, hey, Lynn, there really is. There's been a topic that I just have refused to obey God in. I've, I've been running away. And if I was being really transparent and honest right now, there's probably several things in my life that are less because I've been on the run. Phase three. Phase three starts in verse four. Here's what it says. Then the Lord. So you get what's happening. Up until now, it's all been Jonah. Up until now, all the pain has been self-inflicted. Then the Lord. It's as if the Lord says, oh, okay. I've given you plenty of time. I've given you plenty of opportunities. I'm going to do something now. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So guys, you get, this isn't just a little springtime squall on the Mediterranean. This is... The ship is going to capsize storm. Matter of fact, in just a few moments, the sailors, who that is their home turf, are terrified. They've never been on the Mediterranean through something like this. Then God sent a storm. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw cargo into the sea and lightened up the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell asleep. Talk about clueless, right? Clueless. He falls asleep. The captain went down to him and said, how can you be asleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they're taking dice and they're throwing the dice. I'm not sure exactly how it works. If you get higher than seven, then you're, I, I don't know. Just not the best way to determine God's will, in case someone is wondering. Okay, so, they, so the, they cast lots and they fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble. Uh, where do you come from? What is your country? 
From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who, by the way, made the sea, bad place to run, made the sea and the dry ground. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. You get the moment. See, God says, okay, oh, yeah, Joe. That's enough running. I'm going to send a storm. I, I, I'm going to do something to get your attention. Because right now, you think that running is working. And so I'll send a storm. Here's what's amazing to me. Jonah is the last one to figure out that the storm has something to do with him. Right? They wake him up. He comes on deck. He goes, oh, storm? Me? No. No. That's a stretch. And here's what you need to know. That when God sends a storm, it doesn't necessarily match the area of your disobedience. It's the reason that a whole bunch of us walk up on deck and we go, hey, this part of my life is going way, way south, but that has nothing to do with the fact that I've been disobedient over that. Matter of fact, so here's what happens. See, I'm living with my girlfriend and I lose my job. And I go, the one has nothing to do with the other. I mean, living with my girlfriend and losing my job, there's no connection there. Or... I decide to check out on church. And all of a sudden, my finances begin to struggle. And we go, oh, those don't go together, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's storm me. I'm treating my spouse really terribly. And suddenly, I'm under tons and tons of unfair pressure at work. And I go, one doesn't have anything to do with the other. And here's the answer. Yes, it does. Because God is not obligated to intercept and intrude in your life in the area of your disobedience. His heart is to get your attention, not to connect the dots for you. How many of your parents? Okay, you've done this. You've done this. Your 16-year-old daughter ditches school. You don't come to her and say, okay, because you ditched school, you can't go to school for a month. You don't do that. Instead, you go, hey, you ditched school? Hand me your cell phone. And she goes, what? My cell phone had nothing to do with me ditching school. I know. But it has everything to do with getting your attention. And that's exactly what God does in our lives when he sends the storm. Don't try to connect the dots. Simply ask, why the storm? Why the storm? This is a critical moment in the run, guys, because we're only at phase three. Isn't it true that the very, very best thing that Jonah could have done would have been to walk up on deck, see the storm, and go, oh, get down on his knees and say, God, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll go to Nineveh. You realize the whole thing would have been over right then. 
We, never stage four. God would have been good because the, that's ready for this. All God wanted was for Jonah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hit in the face. I it sounded good before I did it. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you realize all God wanted, right, was for Jonah to take up the line. And you need to know that right now, if, if God's got you in a storm, if God's got you in a hard, hard place, the best thing you do, the best thing I do is go up on deck and say, God, I know. I know I've got this area of disobedience. I know I've got this thing that I swore I would never give to you. I'm peeling up the line. I'm done. I'll move out from my girlfriend. I'll take that habit and surrender it to you. I'm picking up the line. We'd be good. We'd be good. And no stage four. Stage four starts in verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked, what should we do uh, do to you and to make the sea to calm down? Here's Jonah's reply. Watch this. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied. It will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now think about this for a minute. Jonah's answer is, I would rather die than obey. That's a plan? Think of it. That's a plan? No, God, I'm sticking with my line. Just kill me. I'm just thinking nothing good happens from there. And yet, guys, you and I have seen people go to their grave running from God. No way that their life was less. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. It'll become calm, and I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their very best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, which he wasn't. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea went calm. I mean, think about that for a minute. You throw Jonah in and... You can just imagine one of the sailors went, do we pick him up? No, no. They took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Phase four. See, here's the deal, guys. You say, I I don't care, God. I don't care. I will go to my grave fighting you on this thing. Do not be surprised if God 
provides a fish. And guys, I was going to tell you, for me, this is horrifying. When I was a little kid growing up, uh, I had an aquarium at my house that I cleaned out about once a year, whether it needed it or not. <laughs> You'd walk into my room and your eyes would water. Uh, you couldn't see the fish in there unless they swam right up to the glass where you were because it was brown. Since then, I have refused to eat seafood. You can imagine me in the belly of a fish for three days. It would be horrifying. And guys, I'm just, look, look, look. When God sends the fish, and I don't know what form it'll take for you, but it will be horrible. It'll be horrible. See, that this is, this is God running you and me right up to the very edge of a cliff, and there's nowhere left to go. This is God letting us fall into a pit that we can't get out of. Down an alley that's just a dead end. Into a headlock. So there's nowhere left to go. It's the doctor saying, we don't have any answers. It's being unfairly fired from your job. And even though there's 14% unemployment, you can't find another job. It's your marriage failing. See, I don't know what your fish is. I'm just telling you, whatever your fish is, when God finally says, look, I'm gonna put an end to the running, I'm gonna put you in a place where the problem that you have to deal with is so much bigger than you that it swallows you and you can't solve it and you can't run anymore in the fish because, you ready? because we're going to talk. I'm, I'm going to silence all the running. I'm going to make it impossible for you to, and we're going to talk. And guys, here's what you need to hear me say. When God sends the fish, he's not doing this to be mean. He's not doing it to punish you or to get even with you for running. He's simply stopping the running so that you have to listen. There's a really cool movie. It's called Warrior. Any, anybody saw the movie Warrior? Okay, two of us. That's great. I love it when I have an illustration that's, yeah, going to appeal to everyone. All right, so let me set up the clip that you're about to see. So Warrior is a movie about uh, two brothers who are both mixed martial artists. They cage fight, right? Um, and they both end up entering the same tournament, going through the brackets. They both have won their brackets, and now they're in the championship round, and the two brothers have to fight each other. Now, the sub-story is this. Their father was a raging alcoholic, and the more he drank, the meaner he got. So much so that one day their mother packed her bags left the family, left the boys behind with their father. When the oldest brother got to 18, he was out of there. He took off, he got married to his high school sweetheart, he was gone, leaving the youngest brother to fend for himself with his alcoholic father. And the youngest brother has hated his older brother for abandoning him. He's hated his mother 
for leaving them there. And his entire life has been about bitterness and anger. And now they're in the match together. And suddenly the match becomes about a lot more than who's going to win the fight. The older brother, knowing that something needs to happen in his younger brother's heart, ends up putting him in a headlock. And as he has him in a headlock, he says to his younger brother, I'm sorry. And I want you to know I love you. And it's okay to let it go. It's exactly the conversation God has with us in the fish. It's okay to tap out. Here's the clip. Slip away. see how the audience responded everybody cheered that's what would happen in heaven if you'd tap out if you just realize God's got you where he needs you and you just say I'm done running I'm tapping so let me ask you are you in phase one you got a line and you think you've made a deal with God and you're just like God don't just, just don't go there. We'll be okay. You realize you're already running. Some of you are in phase two, man. You've, you've run away from God and you've run into just stuff. It, it's just a consequence of your disobedience. Because people on the run run to the strangest places. And you're living in phase two. You're, you're living with what you made. Are you in phase three? God wanted to get your attention. He brought a storm. And you've been having a hard time connecting the dots. You're going, oh, no, finances, not going to church, nothing. Are you in phase four? 
Has God absolutely wrestled you to the ground, put you in a headlock, and there is nowhere left to go? He didn't do that to get even with you. He did that so he could talk to you and tell you that he loves you. Dear Lord Jesus, and we, we all have a little bit of Jonah in us, a part of us that wants to negotiate with you and tell you which parts of our life you're not allowed to intrude in, a part of us that when you start to get into those deeper things, those things that we hold tighter in our hands, that we just want to run away. We don't want to have the conversation. We don't want to surrender that part of our life. Would we wake up today and realize that running never ends well for the runner? And, and that before we have to go through all that stuff, we would simply walk back to that original conversation, pick up the tape and say, hey God, no lines between you and me, no lines. I will gladly give and surrender to you every part of my life. I'm tapping out. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you'd like or need someone to pray with you, there will be people right up here at the front, and we'll see you next week.